This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Kelsey gets there. Another good kick from him, and here's Houghton now. Houghton going past one man, finding Wagstaff. Wagstaff turning well, setting up Chilton. Welcome back to the latest episode of the To Hull and Back podcast. Uh, we're delighted to have Leon Carr, an ex-Tiger, on the podcast with us today. Uh, obviously, he was with us under the Peter Taylor era, um, 2004 till 2006, uh, the League One promotion, and then the uh, consolidation in the championship seasons. Um, how are you doing today, Leon? Are we, are we good? I'm really good, mate. Really good, really good. I'm happy to be here. Uh, hope you guys are all right yourself. Yeah, no, we're not bad. Uh, well... We're okay. A bit of a lacklustre game today that we watched and I'm kind of glad that you didn't watch it. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so what we'll do then is this episode, we're going to have about a half an hour chat with Leon. We're just going to talk about his time as a, as a Tiger, obviously. And then we're, me and Joel are going to have a chat um, and be as positive as possible about the uh, the Stoke game, um, if we can find any positives to chat about. And then the upcoming games against Bournemouth and, uh, Blackburn and Bournemouth, um, which will be tough. Uh, but we'll chug on through, uh, as we always do. Uh, so starters then, obviously, um, Leon was with us, uh, like I said, in 2004, uh, he was a Peter Taylor sign-in. So the first question that I'm going to give to you at the moment, Leon, is uh, how did your, uh, how did joining Hull City come about? Was it was it a Peter Taylor thing or was you always interested in joining this club? Was there a feelers out before? Yeah, I think, I think around that time um, in the early 2000s, everyone was aware of how big uh, Hull were becoming. You know, with the progress in the league, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and jumping up the leagues, um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't think anything of Hull at the time until Peter Taylor came down to the South End to train us two days while the manager was off sick to do him a favour, and uh, he just said to me, "When's your contract up?" And I was like, "Oh, it's, it's the end of the season." 
So he said, just don't sign it, don't sign. I said, well, you know, you know, I'm still a young lad. I've got security. I need security. I've got a young family. And he goes, no, I promise you, I'm going to come and get you at the end of the season. So I said, all right, I'll hold out because I, I had to take the opportunity to go to Hull. You know, the you know the, the way they would go in and the, and the stadium, it was a whole different different level compared to South End. So I said, okay, all right, I'll hang out. And he did come back at the end of the season. I went through a bit of stick with the South End fan because I wouldn't sign, but it was it was the right move for me at the time. So that's how that move actually came about because he saw me in training and he liked me and he wanted me to come. And he knew my brother from uh, England under-21s because he had him there. So that's uh, where the connection really kicked off, really. Obviously, older brother, uh, Carl. Um, yeah. You see, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, really, because... Um, Obviously, we all knew that you two were brothers even at the time because you played against each other when you were a Hull City player when he was at Wolves, was it? Yeah, that's um, right. But one thing that I didn't know, which um, after chatting to you, I, I went to check up on, um, you're Ruben Loftus-Cheek's half-brother? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, okay, so because that, that that surprised me. So um, so what is he then? Is he on your dad's side or is he your mum's side? No, it's my dad's side. My dad's side. I, I only really found out, like, he's, uh, oh, my God, in 2010. That he was my half brother because oh. I was I was at Burnley and, and I was sitting in a changing room and um, we get fat you only get fan mail yeah, yeah. and um, the secretary gave me my fan mail and I thought it was just another fan so I was reading it I was like who is that you know saying he's related to me and you know it's a big <laughs> long letter and he goes oh call this number and when you come back to London uh, when the season's over we'd like to meet you so I thought all right I'll go I went home. And I called the number because I thought it might be a prank or something. And I called the number. And he actually, yeah. it was. You know, it was. It was crazy how it all, all came about. Yeah. All right. Do you, do, do you now, like, sort of follow his career with intent? Are you, are you kind of, um, do, you, do you give him any sort of advice? Uh, is there anything there with him? Do you, do you stay in contact and that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in contact. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't really, like, it's his career. And I like to let him just do his own thing. He's a, he's a really mature, yeah. mature guy. And he's... Um, you know, going about his work the right way. Um, no, but to be honest with you, when, it, when 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 we actually do see each other, like maybe sometimes Christmas time and stuff, we don't really talk about football that much. To be honest with you, you know, we just yeah, you know, yeah. we speak now and again, and you know, certain games and certain managers, what was he like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But no, we don't really talk about football that much. Well, see, because uh, the thing is, obviously, with the footballing family, I bet you're all sick to death for talking about football sometimes. We seem to forget that, don't we? You can probably yeah. want um, your, 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 your private life to actually be non-football related. I can imagine it gets a bit much. Um, yeah. But um, so, I, I, so obviously now um, retired, you, you, your last club was uh, Charlton Athletic, um, as far as I'm aware. Um, are you still involved in football then? Yeah, I've, um, I'm a football agent now with um, Stella Group. Is the, the football agency used to look after me when I was playing. So I work in France a lot. Um, obviously, I can't travel at the moment because of the whole situation with COVID. But yeah. um, but I've got my own, a couple of businesses that I'm doing in London. So I'm pretty pretty busy at the minute, you know. So that's not football related, the business I do. But um, yeah, but I'm still in football, talking to players in France. You know, I helped with the Canate uh, deal to Liverpool. So the things oh. like that, that's, um, yeah, that, yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty busy. Oh, see, now, now now that you've said that, I'm kind of interested because obviously football agents nowadays do sometimes get a bit of stick. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think all football agents probably work in different ways and, mm. and uh, you know, try and take different, you know, some are probably more financially motivated than more than they are the, the mm. player, for example. Um, so, so what, give, give us a life into, well, give us some insight into what it's like to be a football agent. Do you, do you sort of, 
are you a, a major driving force in like you know making transfers between clubs or do you does the player ask you to find them a move how, how, how does it how does it work well, first off, when you when you approach the player, you know, they get if they're a decent player, they get a number of people approaching them. But you have to, you know, sell yourself in a way to say that, you know, we can do the best best for you as the player. I mean, obviously it's it's difficult because they don't know you, but they have to build up a bit of trust. Um, I have, you know, sometimes I have meetings with the families, talk to them, explain to them what the situation is, you know, how you know we're a massive company, we can do the best for the player, um, get them the right, the right move what they want you know and it's not about it's not all financial because they 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 have the last call they have to say what they want to do so it's about using the best agency to look after you and get the right things for you you know there's a lot of things that the players think they can they can do themselves where the, you know an agency like you know like Jonathan Barnett and David Manassi they can actually pull things off with chairman and directors to get the right thing for you which are, if a player is going in there on his own he won't know so it's important to have that back in sometimes. So it's about it's, it's really about what we can do for you and, and and a bit of trust as well. Yeah, I mean I can imagine because obviously like you you you're big you bigger agents that get moves for like you know Cristiano Ronaldo. I think there was a, a well publicised one that Wolves had like the same agent for the majority of the players they were signing, and you know the kind of mm. the mechanics behind it has just always intrigued me. So it's interesting mm. to know that obviously that that, that football agents in, in general like. You know, like yourself, you, you you have got the players' best interests at heart. You know, it's mm. just you know because it can, it can sometimes get a bit misconstrued in the in the media and that thing. Get I think clubs can give them a bit of flack too, can't they? I think um, in yeah. terms of like dry, trying to force players out of clubs, kind of thing. So it's yeah. it's interesting yeah. to hear that. But uh, back on Tull City, then obviously um, you signed for us in two thousand four, like you said. You know, Peter Taylor said he'd come and get you, and he did. Um, so what what interests me is obviously that was a back to back promotion season. We'd literally just got promoted the season before from yeah. League Two or yeah. Division Three. It was back then yeah. to the newly formed League One. Um, when you signed, um, what was actually the aim of the club that season? I know because we went up, but usually yeah. when you get promoted, um, you know a club's aim is to you know maybe consolidate mid table, maybe have a base to push on for promotion in a couple of seasons. But we went straight up. Like was 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 that? explain to you as a name of the club or was it just a welcome surprise? No, that was in no uncertain terms, that was what it was. I when I when I went when I came from London, I went to the uh, the KC at the time, I saw uh, I met Peter Taylor there and Adam Pearson and they both said to me like we want promotion. There's no there's mm. no second. You know, we we need promotion, you know, so that was the aim from the get go. All right, because you see, because I asked Phil Brown a similar question because he kept us up one season, like you know, we just we'd literally survived by the skin of our teeth, and then we get promoted the next season. And it's always, um, I think, interesting for fans to sort of know how what aims are within the club. Because for me, as a fan, we genuinely don't expect to be fighting for promotion after you've had you know maybe come up from the league below. Mm. I know a few teams do it because momentum has a big part to play in it. You know, confidence you used to winning. Um, it can carry you through. A few teams have done it from League One to the Premier League, for example. Um, so it's it's a the fact that they actually came to you and said, "No, we're going up this season." Is is, mm. is probably a huge um, credit to the club and obviously the recruitment that they, they saw in you a promotion winning centre back, which is probably a, a compliment to yourself. Uh, I know you've made quite a, go a career of being a goal scoring centre back. Um, I know I'm just looking at your stats here. You got 38 goals in 417 games in total. Uh, and for Hull City, you had 10 goals in 86. 
um, which is um, pretty good going for a centre-half um, at any club. Um, you played for 10 across your career, if, if I'm right there. Millwall, Forest Green Rovers, Stevenage Borough, Southend, Hull City, Crystal Palace, Stoke City, twice, loan to a permanent. Burnley, Preston, Charlton, loan to permanent, and then obviously the end of your career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a couple of the uh, questions that we got asked by City fans to ask you, and I think you probably knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you left us to join Crystal Palace. Yeah. Um, was that a move that um, maybe you look back on now with a bit of regret, or at the time, like what what was your um, what was your reasoning for for jumping from Championship club to another Championship club kind of thing? Because a lot of City fans probably felt that you were quite comfortable in this side. Yeah, it wasn't any, you know, any ulterior motive to, <clears throat> excuse me, to go to Crystal Palace straight away. But obviously, Peter Taylor brought me to Hull and then he left. He was going anyway. You know, mm. I enjoyed my time at Hull. I mean, when I first started at Hull, I started off, I had a nightmare. I couldn't get any form. You know, I remember I remember playing against Huddersfield away. We lost 4-1 and I looked up in the, the away end where the Hull fans were and they were looking at me like, what have we signed there? That's, that's how bad it was. So I had to I had to sort myself out, you know, and get myself right, and eventually did obviously. But when Peter Taylor left, he called me and said, "Look, I'm going to Palace. I'm, I'm going to put in a 1.5 million bid for you to come back down London." And obviously, I'm a London guy. My family's situated in London. It's you know, it's it's a no-brainer really. It's it's it's, it's Crystal Palace. They probably had more at the time facilities to make another push for promotion. I had to take it. Uh, it's a move I had to take. And it's not like I wanted to leave Hull because I didn't like it. I loved, I loved my time at Hull, but I had to, I had to go to Palace. Yeah, I think it's easy as fans to probably forget that, you know, uh, players are human beings, they've got families, they've got lives, you've got you've got places where you live. It's, you know, Hull's, Hull is a significant distance away from London, like you say. Yeah. So, um, you know, more, more, more than saying you, you, you potentially moved on um, for reasons other than, you know... Um, the fact to be closer to your family, it's a lot easier. And I mean, yeah. so let's be honest, Crystal Palace are, are a big club than us. Um, mm. I mean, if you're looking at it from a career standpoint, um, in terms of moving on to try and progress your career and have a better chance at playing at a higher level, etc. I mean, I know you ended up being a Premier League player um, at some point. Was it with Stoke? Um, so you obviously had, yeah. So you obviously had aspirations to play at a higher level, and 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 I mean, kudos to you. You you went for it. I mean, I think the thing is, is obviously. Um, a lot of fans uh, probably started to see the best of you, like you say, and they were just kind of gutted to see you go. Mm. Um, so I think, I know, I know me personally, I didn't hold any sort of thing against you. I was, I was loved you as a defender. I mean, I was a kid in the stands watching you. It was, it was, it was good. It's quite, it's kind of weird to be sat interviewing you kind of thing. But um, obviously, um, so that squad then, we'll come on mm. to the squad that you were with uh, under Peter Taylor, because it was some squad, if you think about it. Many of those players ended up being, uh, Premier League players for us. Um, so I'm looking at the squad list we've got here. So we've got like, you know, the likes of Boas Myhill, uh, Andy Dawson, Ian Ashby, uh, Mark Joseph, Nick Barnby, Ben Burgess, John Walters, uh, Stuart Green, who obviously came to Palace as well. Um, uh, Aaron Wilbraham, Andy Hesentyler, C- C- Craig Fagan, Kevin Ellis. It was a really good squad. Um, did, did you as a player, when you're in that changing room then, did you look around at the likes of like, say, Ian Ashby, uh, and Boas Mile and think th- these guys are going to be Premier League fo- uh, footballers in the future. Or did you always maybe in the back of your mind think, you know, maybe this is Hull City's level? Um, yeah. Obviously, when you, when we're consolidating the Championship kind of thing, because it's it's pretty weird for players to play in all four divisions. But obviously, the likes of Ashby and Dawson and the likes did. So, yeah. uh, do you do you think? Did you always think they had that in them? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I went there, I the, the contrast of it was chalk and cheese from South End to Hull. I mean, going at South End, it was like not easy ozy, but it wasn't. It wasn't that they didn't have the same fight as the Hull guys. And when I went to Hull, it was totally different. I mean, those guys were warriors. And when I mean warriors, I mean warriors. They they mm. wanted to win uh, badly. Ashby, the way he used to get on at the guys to to, to perform. You know, it, it was like it, it was we're going to war every week, and that and that's what really helped propel me as well. You know, it was it was ruthless. It was ruthless because they know they knew the job that they needed to do, and they were good technically on the ball. They were good. They were really good players. Stuart Green, Andy Dawson, the guys you mentioned, top top players. They were good players, and um, in in the games, it, it was it was tough. It was tough sometimes because it hit it hit me for six. Because I come from mm. South End, where it wasn't too much pressure. Come into Hull, have to get promotion. I remember one time, one time in a game, because I'm not the sort of guy to take things personally. Like, I, I take it as a booster. Like, okay, I'll show you. I mm. can't remember who was playing at the KC, and it was probably my second or third game. And I must have done because I wasn't, I wasn't the best on the ball. I know that I was more a defender first. And I, I, done, I made a mistake, and Ashby turned to me and said, "I knew we shouldn't have bloody signed you." <laughs> and I was like. I was thinking to myself, what? I was like, no way. Like, I can't. I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you. And um, yeah, that's what I did. And uh, from then on, I just really like really kicked on a bit because sometimes you need that push. Like if you probably say that to a player nowadays, they might fall on the floor and start crying. But they, you know, the, those guys there, yeah. they're really, really tough guys. And you had to perform. And if you didn't perform, they'd want you out of the team. So that was it really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was literally going to ask that as a follow-on from that. Like, obviously, can't be nice as a player to hear like your teammate, your captain at the time, um, you know, <laughs> sort of regretting you as the signing. Um, can't be very good, but you know, it, I think it all comes down to character, doesn't it? Like you say, you took that as a, as an excuse to better yourself at maybe your weaker sides mm. of your game and, and, and prove to him wrong. Because you know, like you say, nowadays it's probably easier to sort of shake that responsibility away and be like, well, he was nasty to me and force yeah. a move somewhere and stop playing and training the under 23s kind of thing but yeah, exactly. um no like you said it was a very i mean when you think about that side it like you say it was a very tough side i mean um uh, one thing i'll ask you though obviously uh, we signed nick bambi uh the yeah. same season that you signed um yeah. what was he what was it like to have a player obviously because he dropped from the premier league to come to us mm. in league one it was it was some coup um, what was it like to have somebody like Nick Bambi in the changing room then for the likes of yourself? Like, obviously, you came from South End, where you say, you know, the caliber of player was maybe a little less than it was at City at the time. Mm. But then to come in with the next England Premier League uh, player into the changing room, same same team as you, mm. was it was it quite uh, motivational? Did, did, did you, you know, pick his brains quite often or what was it like? Yeah. No, he was he was really good. I mean, I don't think I ever had a falling out with Bombs. He was, he was such a calm... He was a he was a calm, placid guy. You could see his quality in training. You know, obviously his his legs wasn't what they were because he was getting on a bit at the time. But he was really clever. He was so clever in the way he played. Just got himself into little areas where you couldn't mark him. Technically, he was brilliant. Um, set up a couple of goals for me, I think. Um, no, he, he he was brilliant. I really I really liked working with Bombs. You know, because sometimes when you get a player coming down from the Premier League. Because you obviously you can't do some of the things they can do. They, you know, it's known to they get they will get frustrated with you. But mm. he was never like that. He was never like that. He just he just went about it quietly, fitted in, fitted in with the boys straight away. Everyone liked him. There was yeah, it was it was a really good signing from Peter Taylor. 
Yeah. I mean, because it's, like you say, it can be quite maybe upset the dressing room kind of thing to bring in a player of that quality, you know, have him sort of on a pedestal. Um, but I think obviously with him being a whole whole boy, wanting to come back to his hometown club and, and sort of progress us up the leagues and a, a time yeah. where we were ascending was probably um, the best time for us to to get him. Certainly a, a surprise transfer, but one that obviously went down in history in the end. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I thought it'd always be interesting to know how, how the other players sort of perceived him in the changing room and things like that. Because then you've got like the other end of the scale, like we say, with Ian Ashby. Uh, what what was it like then having Ashby as the captain? Was was he just literally captain material from the start? Did he demand nothing less than 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 hundred percent all the time? Was it was he was he a catalyst for the majority of the success? Because he's heralded obviously as a bit of a legend in 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 Hull City colours. Yeah, he was on you. I mean, he was on you all the time. Sometimes you know when you look back, sometimes. You think, all right, Ash, that's, that was over the top. That was a bit harsh. But that's that's what it's like in, in the dressing room sometimes with people like that. You know, I can imagine probably Roy Keane being the same. You know, he mm. pushed players on, but sometimes he can be a little bit over the top. Um, but yeah, no, he, he he was a good captain. He was a good captain. Me and him had our spats. Don't get me wrong. We really did, you know, had our spats. But sometimes when I was in the wrong, I wouldn't say anything. But sometimes when I felt like, no, that's that's that was wrong, I would have a pop at him back. And he wouldn't. And the thing is, Ashby, he wouldn't take anything personally. You know, mm. after the game, back on the coach, he'd be fine. You know, but on the pitch, like he, it's demanding. It's football. It's, it's not. It's you can't. You can't baby people. You have to get get people to get you results. And that's and to be fair to him, that's what he did. Mm. I think um, what we'll do then now is because um, I think I feel like this one would be a good set of questions. And I, I, you might have to travel your mind back, uh, obviously yeah. quite a distance now, we're going back a few years. Um, but I'm going to ask you, do you know, like, uh, if you've ever watched Soccer AM and they do the, um, uh, you know, the best and worst of stuff like that, I'm going to ask yeah. you a couple of questions for, for that changing room of players at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think, who was the, who had the worst fashion sense of that whole City squad? Oh, without a doubt, Stuart Elliott. God, <laughs> he was just... Uh... I don't know what he was doing. Uh, it was just, yeah, definitely Stuart Elliott. Mr. Mr. No, no effort whatsoever. <laughs> what, what, what was his dress sense like then? Because obviously, um, and we all it know he's quite highly like, religious, was it? It was just like an old man. It was just like <laughs> a old man just coming to training every day. Like, like Stu, like, you're only in your 20s, mate. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to him, he didn't care. He didn't care. He was comfortable the way he was. But he's still hammering, though. Yeah, I mean, he scored nine on, uh, over 30 goals, didn't he, that season? So he can dress how he wants, I'm not bothered. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Who was then um, the best singer? Oof. Who was always singing? Oh. Do you know what? I don't remember. I remember any new sign-in would come in. They had to do, they had to do a song. Yeah. Damo liked like a song now and again. He fancied himself to be a bit of a singer sometimes, Damo. David yeah. Delaney. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, to be fair, yeah. What about the worst singer, then? The worst singer? Um, do you know what? I'll be honest with you, there wasn't many singers. Uh trying to think. I think Danny Allsop one time done a song. Oh. And, that, and, he, and his little Aussie accent wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was um, uh, all right then. Uh, so I'm trying to I'm trying to scrape the barrel for some of these. Then, um, what about? And I think this is going to be an interesting one because obviously you'll be a contender. Um, who was the best header at the club? <laughs> well, excluding me. 
Well, well, include yourself if you want to. Ah, it's got to be me, isn't it? <laughs> what would you would, would you bet on yourself against Stewie Elliott? Yeah, you know what? You know what? Because he wasn't as big as me. He had a good spring, but the thing is, I'm four, and I had a good spring as well. So, no. Do you know why I'm taking me? Do you know why I'm saying me? Because I always had the big sports marking me. The big six footers weren't marking yeah. Stuart Elliott at the time, even though he got but, in. On but maybe that's why Stuart Elliott's not so anymore. It may be, maybe. But to be fair to him, he <laughs> had the six footers marking him in the box from crosses in open play. So yeah, I don't know. That maybe that one's up for debate. But I'm still taking me though. <laughs> uh, what about um, what about the club's hard man? Who, who I mean, I think there's probably going to be two or three you could probably choose from here. But who, who was the guy that you would not mess with in training? Who you would you know maybe not throw a challenge into? Uh, just in case he took your head off. Nah, do you know what? I'd probably challenge anyone in training. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah, yeah. are you throwing your hat in the ring as the hardest man, of the, 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 hardest yeah. man at, at the club at the time? But you know what the funny thing is, though? Apart from, let me think about that squad at the time. Everyone in that squad at the time would go hell for leather in training, apart from Stuart Green. <laughs> mm. yeah, everyone, will tackle, everyone will tackle really hard in training, apart from Stuart Green. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. Who was the who was the biggest slacker in training then? Who obviously Stuart Green was probably the, the, in terms of, of of going out with challenges or whatever. But who 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 would turn up to training and do the absolute bare minimum? You probably say Jason Price. Yeah, pricey. Yeah, he's very, <laughs> very laid back. He's not. He's not going to bust the gut in training, pricey. No. no, not at all. No, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> definitely Jason Price. I'd say. Okay. Um, what we'll do then? I think uh, Joel's got a couple of questions from. Uh, we've we've had a couple on Twitter. I think the the um, a couple that he can ask you. So if you want to fire away, Joel. Yeah. The but there's two here. The both relating to your brother Carl. Mm. Uh, the first one is: What was it like to play against him? Yeah, no, that was really good, really good. Because he, he's, where, where he'd been in his career, you know, for me to actually play against him, which I probably thought I'd never do, was actually a dream come true. So to play against him, I got a couple of kicks in everything. And when I, scored that, when I scored that first goal against Wolves, I was absolutely buzzing. But then he scored the winner in the 90th minute, didn't yeah. he? Which absolutely, yeah, yeah my mean... My phone was blowing up after the game, like you know, <laughs> laughing and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But nah, it was it was a good game. That was a good game, but unfortunately we didn't get the win. And another one is would it have ever been a possibility for him to come and join you at Hull? Uh at that time it wasn't, but then he was gonna come to Palace when I was there. He was he, he came to the training ground for a medical, but he actually failed the medical. That's why he wouldn't sign him, yeah. But he was he was inches away from joining me at Palace. Mm. So would you would you think you'd have liked to have played in the same team as Carl? Then is that something yeah. you would have you maybe yeah. would have wanted yeah. to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite rare, isn't it? It's quite rare for two brothers to play in the same team. But no, yeah, yeah no, that would have been good. I would have enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, so I think we've only got a couple of questions left. Then I think um, the the one that probably everybody's wanting to ask us about, and I think you knew it was coming. I think you did an interview, didn't you? Was it with the um, supporters club? Um, about a certain celebration. Um, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Obviously, you came back uh, to the KC as a Crystal Palace player um, yeah. and you managed to score. 
uh, one of your trademark goals. Um, mm. And the celebration, I think, by uh, quite a few City fans was maybe deemed to be a bit overzealous considering you just left us kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so what's your explanation for that one? What was the, the reasoning behind it? Well, I'll tell you what, right? Do you know, that, was, that celebration was nothing to do with anything to do with Hull. What it was is that it's the first time in my career I'd been bought for, and back then it was a substantial amount of money to yeah. Crystal Palace. Um, I went to Crystal Palace. The players, I think they just come down from the Premier League maybe a year or a year or two before. So, and I was, and I got bought by Peter Taylor. So the players at Palace weren't too sure about me anyway. So that was an added pressure. And for me mm-hmm. to go there and, and score like so many goals for them very early on in the season. And when I hit that one, it was like, wow, like, you know, I'm, re- I'm really going to impress people, you know. So it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a bit of a release of pressure. So yeah. when I scored that goal, you know, when I saw it go past Boaz in the bottom corner, it wasn't anything to do with, oh, I'm celebrating against Hull. It was just, wow, do you know what I mean? I really, I really started the season well. And I, and I remember that goal, it was just a cloud. When, I, when it went in, I didn't see anything around me. I just ran off. I just ran off celebrating. And then when I stopped... I was like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, and, and I saw the saw some fans over the far side, like, booing me. I was like, oh no, like, Leon, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And that's all it was. It was nothing to do because it was against Hull. Nothing to do with that. Yeah. I was going to ask the follow-up there saying, obviously, was there a, was there a stage where you looked back at that and thought, maybe I should have yeah. done that kind of thing? Well, yeah, but- yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, like I say, I had a good time. There's, there's not one bad time I had at Hull. You know, I had a really good time and you know, I didn't want, you know, to probably, I probably didn't want to even score against them. It was like that. But, you know, it's just unfortunate. Obviously, I left and played for Palace and you've got to do your job, haven't you? You know? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I mean. It comes back to like what we said earlier. I mean, obviously, us as fans, we're emotionally best invested in the team that we support, that we will always support kind of thing. But mm. to players, you know, it's your job. You will represent different clubs throughout your career. I mean, mm. there's, there's, there's very, very rare circumstances where a player sticks to one team. Um, but like you say, you know, you're, you're moving, you're trying to progress your career in a way and you're increasing your pressure in doing so. Yeah. So we probably forget as fans that the players themselves in that moment, it's a very emotional thing to do. Obviously yeah. coming up against your former team and that and then and then the increased pressure of trying to um, sort of um, establish yourself in a new side. Um, so um, I, I bet you're kind of glad to get that. Uh, sort of out there. So if any if any of our listeners, obviously Leon, Leon was just emotionally overwhelmed. That was all. It was yeah, nothing that's, against that's us. all it was. That's all it was. Yeah, seriously. So was. hopefully you can get um a, a get a few more City fans back on your side with that. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I think my last question is I'm going to ask you because obviously it's it's a good um uh achievement to have done in your career. Um, you obviously ended up playing uh, Premier League football with what did you say Stoke and Burnley. Yeah. Um, so you was Premier League football, but you also played international football for mm. is it Guyana? Yeah. Um, what's it like then playing international football for a side like Guyana? And and, and did mm. did you qualify obviously through family or could you have any other? Did you qualify for any other international sides? Why why did you end up in yeah, Guyana? It was, it was at a stage in my career. Um, I was in my thirties, and um, obviously my mum, my mum, my grandmother are Guyanese. So I, I, you know, they said, like, do you want to come and play? So I went, I went and played a few games against Barbados and St. Lucia um, in their countries, by the way. So it was a nice trip. Um, 
but no, it was it was a good experience, really good experience. You know, doing a national anthem, you know, play, just a whole different surrounding of South American football. It was a good experience, and I scored. You know, in the World Cup qualifier, uh, two thousand fourteen for Brazil, I scored um, the winner, the winner against Trinidad. You know, yeah. and that, we didn't obviously we didn't qualify for the World Cup, but that was the furthest we'd ever got in a group stage. Yeah. So that was um, that was a big achievement for us as well. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously, um, I know Carl was initially in the under twenty ones, like you said, for England, mm -hmm. but he ended up playing for Guyana as well, didn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, did did you qualify? Would you have qualified for any other countries, or was it just England or Guyana? Was there any yeah, other? It was, just, it was England, Guyana, and uh, Jamaica. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so Guyana was just mainly through your obviously your, your grandparents. Yeah, my yeah, grandparents, yeah. And my mum. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. So, what I'll do then, um, just before we we finish off, I'll ask you, what was your Best memory as a Hull City player? Best memory would say, obviously, it was promotion to yeah. uh, to uh, championship. But personally, they, I would say, probably one of my my goal against Barnsley. I'd say that was a that was quite a big three points we needed that day. Um, yeah, I'm trying to I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, but at the moment, I would say Barnsley at home. Barnsley at home. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I remember the game you're on about. I've got the um the the, the 2004 five. Yeah, season so, right. so I'm going to give that another watch tonight. I think I will look back <laughs> at some of the goals. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, obviously, thanks for joining us, Leon. Um, no, I mean, yeah. uh, absolutely, absolutely amazing to have a, a good chat with you because, um, like I say, it was, it's back in the the brighter days where we're you know kind of missing right now. So it's nice to reminisce. Um, yeah. Uh, good luck to everything there. Obviously, with your um your football agency. Uh, hopefully, everything goes well for you. Uh, and thank you for joining. Um, see you later. Cheers, bye. See you later, Joel. Take yes. care, mate. See ya. Right. Um, so for everybody still listening, um, obviously that was um, that was Leon Court, who um, I'm, I'm assuming most of you will remember, unless you're uh, Joel's age, um, who joined us as a Premier League plastic. Uh... <laughs> Whoa. Whoa! Don't be throwing shade like that. So what we'll do now then is obviously we'll we'll chat about today's um, pretty awful um, affair against Stoke. Um, not many positives we can take from that one. I don't think Joel. Um, I'm going to ask you um, where you think it went wrong today. Where was that impetus from Everton gone? What 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 happened? I I, I couldn't put my finger on why we turned out like we did, but it seemed like the players had absolutely no desire today. They didn't look like they wanted it. And Stoke just decided they were going to just eliminate our main threats, which means that we literally just look like a relegation side. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of the Everton game, we had a full, well, how many, about 16,000 fans. We've had, we had about half that today for our game for Stoke. So that could be a factor in terms of why the, they've played the way they have but they do need to put their ideas up for the Blackburn game because mm, obviously if we put in that sort of performance against um, a Blackburn side that's flying at the moment and, and I know Bournemouth have sort of come off the ball but they've got Premier League standard players in that team we could be on the back of a couple of hammerings I think for me today the, the most unforgivable thing was the fact that um, our usual uh, consistent players that we can rely on every week were just completely missing. I think, you know, George Honeyman was, was one of the worst players on the pitch today. I thought Greg Dockett, he was poor. He was hooked off at half-time for Moncare. 
Um, I think uh, Tom, Tommy struggled to get into the game. Like he, he, he could only really work with what he had. So maybe criticism his way isn't as fair. Uh, Tyler Smith looked um, ineffectual. King Lewis Potter was marked out of the game. Ryan Longman was was decision making was 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 woeful. You know Tom Huddleston even. You know we we've, we've asked this question on the podcast. I've asked myself who who should be starting between Huddleston and Smallwood. And today you'd have to say Smallwood because. Uh, Huddleston was way off the boil, and I think was was a large part of us being such a um, so, so porous in midfield. Um, we just looked incredibly um, fragile at the back. Um, what 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 do we think then? Um, is what do we need? Uh, do we think the takeover and, and the fact that it's taking so long is sort of that anxiety from the fans is creeping onto the pitch, or are we just saying it's maybe just a an off day is, is, is there maybe some extenuating circumstances to it what we're saying i think to be fair it could just be an off day because in terms of the squad we've got we're literally just going to add to it a lot of these players that are in the first team that started today they will play for the rest of the season some of them will play into next season so it's not worrying about the positions it's just i think it's one of those where they've gone out they've just not been on it mm. i mean it's tough, isn't it? Because, I mean, I think I made the observation at some point of the game that, yes, we were playing badly and a lot of our players were, you know, the passing was poor, uh, movement was poor. Um, you know, we, we seemed really vulnerable. And whenever Stoke attacked, they looked like they were going to beat us. But are we maybe taking away this quality of Stoke a bit too much and blaming our players? Because I, I personally think that Stoke did a job on us. I think they set up perfectly. I think... The, the double marked King Lewis Potter out of the game, so he couldn't really have any sort of impact on it. Uh, the midfield were all over us. Uh, each player seemed to know what they were doing. As soon as they got the ball, you know, they attacked in numbers. They outnumbered us at the back. Um, so was do you think then it's more we played bad or did Stoke do really well or a mixture of both? I was saying at the game to the people around me that it's not to do with Stoke playing well because Stoke just did their job. The saw that we went on it and just thought, well, you know, we'll just we'll just beat these because they didn't have to put they, they didn't even have to put hundred percent effort in. Phil Jagielka and James Chester, two veteran centre halves, had a really easy day. They didn't really have to do much running. Mm. Do you think so? I know this will be quite difficult then, but do you think is 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 there any positives from like who who actually could maybe come off that pitch? hold the heads high and say, do you know what? I actually gave my everything out there today and the team let me down. Is, is there any players that you would can find any positives to say about? In terms of the starting 11, I know I said during the game, you you put something in our chat about McLaughlin and I was like, nah. But then as I, I kind of focused a little bit on him and he did seem like he was probably the most composed, probably the better player on the pitch from the starting 11. But in terms of the players that really did shine, it was Smallwood and Williams when they came off the bench. They seemed to have a little bit more energy behind them. I think Moncare as well was better than Doherty when he came on. So all three substitutions were better in terms of performance than everyone else starting 11. So I think them three out of everyone come out with their heads held a little bit high. Yeah, I think the thing was with Sean McLaughlin is is I think the problem is it's very easy to identify the centre halves as to be, um, you know, the reasons for conceding goals or, um, the, you know, slack defending. I think Deshaun Bernard was way off his usual standards today. I think he was, was awful. 
I, I don't know if it's got something to do with the fact that Ryan Longman stayed a lot more advanced than he usually does. Like he usually offers a bit more support to Bernard, but he didn't seem to today. And I think maybe he was a bit, you know, overwhelmed the fact that he was always one in one-on-one -on -one situations and it probably brought out the anxious side of Bernard because um, we're not used to seeing a performance like that from him. But for me, McLaughlin, it just, I honestly think it would have been about five or six today if it wasn't for him. I just think that, you know, I think he made something like nearly 10 blocks in the game, which is by, you know, any defender standard in a game that is quite superb. I think that all the last ditch blocks were usually McLaughlin. I think the uh, I watched on Sky, obviously, because I couldn't attend today. But um, the, 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 the commentators were, were wax lyrical about McLaughlin and the amount of blocks he was making, and he, he did look good. Um, I think that, the, 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 like you say, the fact that the substitutions that came on were far better than the players that started, given the players that we had on the pitch, was probably the biggest indicator as to why we struggled today. I mean, I think um, someone tweeted out today that... It, you know, our our barometer for, for playing well is George Honeyman. And if he doesn't play well, the team doesn't play well because he is everything that we do, it comes through him. So if he has an off game, the team has an off game kind of thing. But Richie Smallwood, when he came on, fantastic. Um, I think when, you know, he sort of tried to get, take the game by the scruff of his neck, real captain, um, what, what he should be doing, leading by example. He even probably did more attacking than, than half the team in the 10-minute the period when he came on the pitch kind of thing. Um, I know he made like some driving run into the box and I was like, well, where, where's that been on game kind of thing? But um, it's like you say, Randell Williams. Now, I, I've, I've sung his praises on this pod before and I've, I've, I've argued for him a starting place and I think he's a pretty good player. Um, obviously, with the form of Keen Lewis Potter and um, Ryan Longman, it's justified for him not really to probably be able to get into the side at the moment. What I'm going to ask you is then, I know that obviously we, we've let McGuinness go to Wigan um, and Malik Wilkes is injured. So in terms of strikers, we are pretty much, our hands are tied. It's Tom Eves and Tyler Smith, or we're bringing either Longman or KLP up top and putting Williams out wide. Do you think that is the way to go forward from now on then? And, and if so, what combination are you doing? Who are you sticking up top? Who are you dropping? And do you bring Williams into the side? What 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 would you do personally? Yeah, I would for the Blackburn game. I'd bring Williams in to see how it goes. I'd put him at left wing back, stick Lewis Paul up front, and put Smith on the bench because I think we still do need that big man little man partnership up front. If you put Smith and Lewis Paul up front together, it's not going to be. It's going to be basically one way of playing. We're not going to be able to lump balls over the top. It's always going to be in behind, and Blackburn will figure that out quite quickly. Yeah. Because I think reading reading City Twitter today, there was a lot of criticism being thrown towards Tom Eves. And I know he's obviously not done what um, a striker should really be doing at a club. For us especially. Um, but did we really... I mean, to be fair, our, our passing today, our movement, just everything was lethargic. It was disorganised. I thought the unit, the shape was totally off. We couldn't get out of our arse. Stoke pressed us in numbers. They went in threes. They kept us pinned in. We had to keep going backwards. In, in terms of, well, I think what I'm trying to get out is, is Tom Eves, I know he keeps trying to run in behind the shoulder defenders and would probably rather him be the, the target man that kind of, you know, Josh McGuinness did so well for his last season and, and bits of this season. Um, do we need to be taking, like, you know, sort of like a, a, a different tactical approach? Because when we're lumping the ball up front, we're trying the in behind all the time. Do we need to start aiming the ball at Eves to get the best out of him? 
do we need to be telling him, you know, hold your position, bring teammates into play, stop trying to get in behind kind of thing? Because I know from a player's standing point, he's probably frustrated he's not getting the ball, so he's coming deeper and then trying to get closer to the goal. But would we fare better from a more direct approach straight to him? Yeah, I think in terms of Eves, he feeds off of crosses. So really, what we need to do is we need to put Eves in the box whenever we can and just get Longman, Lewis Potter, Williams, whoever's on the wings, to swing balls in towards him and can try and get his head onto it. I know he's offside most of the time or he'll get called for a foul, especially by championship referees. But that's the way we need to play with, with Tom Eves in the side is getting the ball to his head. And then yeah. you could have maybe Smith or Lewis Potter or someone running off him just in case his head is not really accurate. Yeah, because we did look kind of dangerous when, when, you know, the very rare occasion this game that we actually got the ball into a decent area, um, especially Randon Williams when he came on. His first thought all the time was whip the ball in. Um, obviously, he's a left-footed player, so having him on the left-hand side would give us the best chance to do that. I know we, with Lewis Potter and Longman, it's more they try and cut in and, and sort of worm their way into the box that way. Uh, but with Randall Williams, it probably gives us a different outlet to, you know, lump the ball into the box and try and get the best out of Eves that way. Because you know, obviously we're not we're not going to get technical brilliance off Eves. You know, he's not the best on the ball, but he's certainly a, a threat in the air. And if anything, he's going to, you know, pull a couple of defenders towards him that are going to try and mark him and leave space for somebody else. So hopefully, like you say, I mean, personally, I would probably also try that combination of Lewis, uh, Lewis Potter and Eves up top and then uh, Randall Williams on the wing back, just to give us that extra dimension when we're attacking. Because when teams figure us out like they kind of like they did in the previous system, like they seem to be doing now, we, we still attack that same way, and it's just it's just re re repeated over ninety minutes, and we're just watching us basically bang our heads against a brick wall uh, and not get any closer. And we're getting to that stage again where we're not winning games and we're not really scoring goals or creating chances. I mean, I think we had something like three or four shots over the ninety minutes in that. And it, it, you know, it's not good enough. Like when you when you play in a three-five-two and you've got so many players in attack, you need to be having far more chances than we did. Um, I know Stoke are a good side and, and they'll probably be up in the playoff mix, but you know, performance-wise, it just needs to be better. And we should be offering at least some sort of um, attacking threat. Um, so I guess following on from that, then obviously we've got Blackburn next, um, which is the. Lovely rescheduled game that um, got cancelled on Boxing Day, probably too much to the um, laughter of many City fans and, and to the hindrance of Blackburn fans. I know it was quite poor decision-making on the day, but, you know, EFL's um, issue and everything like that, and some poor Black, Blackburn fans were stuck in all without a game to go to kind of thing, but they're on fire. Let's not pull any punches. They're, they're, they're up in the automatic promotion race. Um, I mean, personally, I didn't expect them to be up there as they are, but they are. Uh, they've got a lot of threats in their team. Um, so, what do we need to? What, what would you actually? Would you change system then for the Blackburn game, or would you stick with the three at the back? I don't know what would change it to though, because we can't go back to four three three because that's just as ineffective as as we was today. So, I think we do. We, we've got to stick with three five two. It's worked for us over a decent spell of games so i think we do need to look at staying the same and hopefully getting more out of our players in terms of effort and commitment mm. and would you bring would you bring smallwood straight back into the side for huddleston yeah huddleston hasn't to... got the legs anymore he's not got no. the legs to start games he's an impact I mean, player we... the best 
we asked. I mean, we asked on the podcast account, obviously on a, on a vote, it was who you would start um, between the two players, and it was sort of unanimously, well, close to being unanimous for Tom Huddleston. It was like ninety one percent that they wanted him to start. I imagine quite a lot of them opinions will have changed after today. I think um, we see the role that's you know what Smallwood offers us uh, in that we were very defensively fragile. Uh, the back three were horribly exposed. Uh, the midfield three sort of had no coordination they had no direction they were all chasing the same ball which left them a lot of space to then you know run straight our back four um so to me Huddleston at uh, Smallwood has to come back in um Huddleston obviously is better coming off the bench and helping to see a game out um when you know the game's progressed a bit more a bit more um and then the other change I assume being uh dropped Tyler Smith King Lewis Potter up top and Randall Williams on the wing mm. uh would you change anything else then or is um is that it? No, I think you've got it spot on, really, in terms of what you said there. There's not really much I can add to it. Uh, I think what we're going to do now, um, we've actually got Nathaniel who's going to jump us, jump on um, if he wants to do so. Uh, we'll get his thoughts, see what he's going to say. Um, I'm going to see if he gives me a thumbs up because he's in the he's waiting there. There we go, I'll add him now. <laughs> No, then Nathaniel, we jumped on without you. Good evening. <laughs> we delved straight into it. Well, well, I can ask really, the after today's result and the performance, I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> we just move on. Right. So, what I'm going to do then is I'm going to um, I, I, I put on the podcast account for people to to sum it up in three words, and uh, I'm going to get some of the responses up because um, it brought me some joy uh, in what was a very bad game. Let's have a look. So, we have absolutely shite garbage, <laughs> which was uh, Lee Walker. In, in That's a bit uh, lenient, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, going easy on us. Uh, you, Nathaniel, announced the takeover. Mm. Our uh, Tigers Down Under pod, shit, fucking shit. Um, mm. you know, fairly, That's a bit uh, more like it. Yeah. Uh, we need action. Mm very similar to what you put second to everything which actually is a good point throughout that game second balls we just had no desire in that sense uh even when like the first header was won uh loose balls in midfield they were first to it which was a huge problem uh lackluster lethargic and empty from Hull City Retro uh, and then my favorite one from um Ben Peacham was L fucking crapper <laughs> beautiful beautifully described so um what do you think went wrong today then nathaniel can you put your finger on where that everton performance went and, and how we managed to chuck out that garbage today well i suppose maybe we were putting uh too much pressure on because of the everton result because we still lost that game so they won't be you know motivated i mean this is easy to say in hindsight because i did think it would motivate them but maybe just because I'd put so much into that game. Um, it's really difficult to... Uh, if it was as easy to play like we did against Everton every week and to get that G'd up for a um, a championship game, then they'd do it all the time and we wouldn't be 19th. So, uh, But I think um, our midfield um, just kept rushing in um, and left lots of space. Um, they couldn't, you know... Usually we, like, tackle the ball really well in midfield, but today they just stoked just wandered through and had too much space and then um, i mean mclaughlin did well defensively with like the blocks but uh we allowed stoke too many 
clear-cut opportunities that, uh, fortunately, McLaughlin and others were able to block, but they shouldn't be getting into those spaces anyway. So uh, I think the midfield left the defence exposed. Yeah. I mean, we. I think I mentioned on here and a few people picked up today that, you know, too many of our usual dependable players um, were just not the races. You look at Doherty, Honeyman, uh, Deshaun Bernard, I think Baxter maybe a couple of times could have done a bit better. Um, you know, uh, Tyler Smith was poor. Longman's decision-making was very bad. Um, oh, yeah, Keenan's spot was marked on the game. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, across the board, I just thought like the, the whole shape and, and the communication just didn't seem to be there. The desire wasn't there. Um, I asked Joel, and I think there's only really one or two contenders for this, but can you, is there any players that you can single out that maybe can actually go into that dressing room and, and say, you know what, no, I, I put my heart and soul out there today um, and I had a good game? Mm. Well, I think Williams off the bench looked very good. I thought he put some good crosses in and he gave us a bit of... Um... Uh, something going forward. Um, I didn't think Longman was that bad. The the two chances that he uh, had on the volley he should have done a lot better with. But, you know, I, I'm always looking out for what he does. So I noticed that generally he was the same, but um, but he, you know, wasn't as best, as good as he could be. Um, I mean, I, I would say McLaughlin, except he was, he, he, none of the defenders were great, but Baxter made some good saves as well because we, you know, allowed Stoke to have lots of shots. So I'd go Williams and Baxter. Mm. I mean, obviously, we, we, Smallwood came on and made a big difference. Um, we've 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 spoke about um, whether or not it should be Huddleston or Smallwood playing that role quite a bit on the pod. Um, so, do you think then going forward from now on that Smallwood should be in that position? Uh, would you would you reintroduce him back to the starting eleven? Yeah. I think it's um, maybe what you said on the last episode. Uh, start Smallwood and then maybe the last 20 minutes or half an hour, if we're winning or in the game, then you bring Hobbleston on uh, rather than, uh, you know, making him play the full 90 minutes or like an hour. Um, I mean, he still won't be fully fit, but I mean, I thought Smallwood was bad with, you know, catching up to players, but Hobbleston couldn't turn or run at all. So, um I, yeah, I think we start Smallwood and um, bring Hoddleston on later. Mm. Um, me and Joel came to the agreement that um, for the Blackburn game, realistically, the only changes that we would make would be to bring Smallwood in for Huddleston, mm-hmm. uh, drop Tyler Smith and put Keen Lewis Potter up top, uh, and then yeah. bring Randall Williams into the starting eleven. Uh, do you agree with that? They're the only changes yeah. you'd make. I think so. I mean, that was the lineup against Everton, wasn't it? Oh, except Smith. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, I, I would have gone for those two as well. Uh, unless, you know, the takeover goes through. I don't know if you've yeah. talked about that already. Um, uh, and oh, yeah. we signed some players before Wednesday. Uh, yeah, I think those two changes are probably quite wise. I asked, um, I, I, in terms of the takeover, the only, the only time I mentioned it is, I asked Joel if maybe... Um, the, the, the anxiety from the fans, you know, the pressure of this impending takeover that's still not happened, time running out in the transfer market kind of thing. Do you think that that potentially is leaking onto the pitch or do you think it was just literally, a, that was just a bad day at the office? Um, well, it's a bit of both. McCann has, um, before the, the, the Stoke game, he, he didn't say whether the takeover was like a good or a bad thing, but recently he has, he has said that uh, the uncertainty isn't helping. 
So I think that's probably true. And you could argue it was the same that when we first heard the takeover might go through back in October, that was when our form picked up. Mm. Yeah, because I know uh, McCann said that he hasn't actually had any contact. Yeah, I uh, think that's quite bad, really. Um, Do we think that maybe suggests that he's he's not interested in keeping McCann at all? Do we think that's a sign of... Well, otherwise, you just... I think it's a bit poor, really, that he's not even met him. Like, maybe you don't talk, you know, like a, a lay out a full plan and have, you know, the transfers laid out. But at least, you know, say whether or not um, you know, he might stay, just, just to put McCann's mind at ease. Because, uh, you know, even though he's not the owner yet, um, it's still... What happens now? He's still able to influence what's going on now by just talking to people. And if he's not spoken to the manager and the manager's uncertain, then probably be best to, to have a word with him, you know, good or bad, just so he knows. What do you think then, Joel? Do you think that the fact that he's not got in touch with McCann at all, do you, do you see that as maybe he's, he's just completely disinterested in keeping McCann whatsoever and he's going to install a new manager? I know we've had a few rumours of potential replacements or do you just think it's just he doesn't need to because he doesn't own the club yet kind of thing I don't know um, for me you, we don't know what's going on inside the mind of Illicali and his team so it could be a case of he doesn't want McCann here when he comes in or it could just literally just be like you said a case of he's not the owner yet so he doesn't necessarily have to go speak to him and he's only been to one match, so he's not really had much time to be able to actually mm. go and see him. Because we do know he's, he is a busy man; he's flying all over the all over the world. So I think once once he does take over, fingers crossed, it does still go through that he'll speak to him within the first few hours of the takeover being confirmed. Yeah. Mm. See, because to me, I think if you think about it like as your job. If you know a new company was coming in to buy over your company, uh, and you're worrying about whether or not you know your job safety is um, secure, or whether they're going to replace the workforce and bring in whoever they want to do, kind of thing, you would assume that at some point during the takeover, especially now that it's reported that it's only with the EFL now, and they just need to sign it off and it's done, uh, you would assume that the, the, there would be some sort of communication from from um, either. If, if not himself, somebody representing him, maybe Tan Kessler or somebody like that, and come in and says, look, um, this is our plans for the future kind of thing. We're not sure if you're involved. Even something like that could, you know, give him more of a idea of what's going on in the future kind of thing. Uh, maybe, you know, say to a couple of players, I'm going to give you a new contract when I come in kind of thing. I just think that, you know, maybe not being as transparent with your plans is probably going to be more of a hindrance to us, <clears throat> especially in the mm. coming few days. I mean, like I said, we're running out of time in the transfer market. Uh, loan players probably don't know where their future lies. Um, some players, some older players, you know, the contracts are running out. They might be thinking, you know, does this guy want me to stay next season kind of thing and subconsciously then drops their performance levels and looks after their fitness a bit more. It's, there's a lot of, you know, existential circumstances that that that... that could contribute to sort of a derail of form. Uh, talking about form, then obviously we've got Blackburn and Bournemouth as our next two games. Uh, what is our minimum points total from them two games? Because I, I feel like if we say two points, that is another two games where we've not won. 
uh, as good as two points against these teams would be, can we afford to go another two games without winning? Well, it depends on the results of the teams below because, I mean, this is a different scenario to last year where we're currently four points above the bottom three, which is where we don't want to be. Um, but four points is a much bigger margin than four was last year when teams are more likely to win around you because they're actually any good. Um, so, I mean, if Peterborough and Barnsley uh, and you know other teams lose the next two, I'm happy to lose the next two against these good teams. Uh, really, we just need to get through these with maybe a point or, or maybe just some good performances or goals, a takeover, and then we can hopefully get four or six points from Swansea and Preston coming up after. Mm. What about you, Joel? What do you think? What would your minimum yeah. points come from these two games? In terms of minimum, we'll get a minimum of zero <laughs> because both, both teams that we're going to be coming up against are top quality championship sides. We are not that. Mm. So, all, all, like they could have a bad game and we could end up nicking nicking it. It can happen like that sometimes. Derby needs a bomber. So, Luton just be it. Yeah, so that's what I mean. So, anything can happen in this league but I think in terms of what to expect we should expect to not get a single point but yeah. like we say who, know, who knows we could come away with all six yeah I mean like Nathaniel said as long as we're outside the bottom three coming into the season we've done what we needed to do but um, the only reason I, I asked that question is because you know McCann as we've had him has runs where we just don't win for a very long time and this is, you know, two games where we could easily extend that winless run. I mean, you know, we won four on the bounce, but we haven't won since then. Um, you know, you're going back before Christmas now. Um, we can't really be going into February where, well, towards the end of January, where we've, we've, we've you know, nearly gone a full month without winning and, and, and not creating many chances. I just don't think, because you've got to think, you know, the fan base, you know, the people who want who don't want McCann here, um, are going to jump on that straight away. Um, anxiety over the takeover impending. It just, you know, it creates another sort of whirlpool of negativity that that we could really do without at this time of the season. And um, you know, with Derby picking up some good results, I know I know Barnsley looked dead and buried, and and Carly Woodrow's out for a long time, so that probably relegates them. Um, but you know, Peterborough, you will imagine, will probably start to pick up a couple of good results at some point. Uh, Reading uh, probably in a false position, you know points deduction. I know that they got hammered the other night, but they're the a better side than that. Um, I know Black, Blackburn got beat 7-0 by Fulham, so um, mm. you know they're handing out hammerings left, right and centre, aren't they? So It's just one of them, into, you don't want to get tied into it at, at the wrong time and, and like McCann said today, he basically pleaded in the Preston, he says, you know, this, this side is desperate for reinforcements, we need this takeover through so we can sign some new players and, and we know that and I think the players probably know that and it's just we're stuck in that limbo situation, and I think that probably contributed to today's performance, really. Um, but you know, looking forward to these two games for me, I would probably we're looking at, I mean, I think we're probably going to get one or two points, uh, as, as a stretch. Mm. Um, but for me, if we come out of both games where we played well and actually competed over 90 minutes, that's enough because it gives us a platform yeah. to build on. And it's like we say, we, it's hard to talk about this every episode because we don't know 
what's going on. We could be talking mm. the next episode with the new owner and five new really signings. Yeah, what we really want out of the next two games isn't a point or two, it's a takeover. That's what we need. Yeah, yeah, I don't care. We could lose both games 10-0 as long as we get the takeover <laughs> and then are able to sign some players that are actually, you know, decent and not like League One players, uh, then, you know, that would be lovely. Mm-hmm. Right, I think we've pretty much covered most stuff from today then. I mean, there's not many positives we can take and we don't want to dull everybody out with too much negativity. I know we've got two tough games coming up next. Um, we, we'll, we'll brace ourselves for it as a fan base, I imagine. Um, but what we will do now that we've got him on the pod, uh, obviously me, Nathaniel and Will had a good discussion about certain meal deal choices from places. <laughs> And uh, it was all stemmed from um, a conversation Joel had as an appearance on another pod uh, that we sort of, sort of, I don't know, stolen, if you want to say. Um, so, Joel, yours is the only one yet to be revealed. Uh, now, see, ours is out there for public scrutiny. Um, you know, I put a poll out there that, that you know, vote for the worst one and, and mine was the best by Paul. These two claim that nobody read so it I, properly. No, I don't, well, I didn't read it properly and Will didn't. <laughs> none none well, of my family and friends did. The poll uh, said no. easy, it was easy information to read. The instructions were there. By default, you, you can't win with that prawn sandwich. Disgraceful. Uh, well, the, 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 the viewers have spoken and mine was the best out of the three. Uh, so what is your meal deal then, Joel? Full stocks in. They aren't missing any item, right? So usual meal deal stuff. What, uh, sap, what, what, what main you get in, what snack and what drink. And don't lie because Will knows your true one. So this is the truth. Well, I'm going to say, I'm literally just going to repeat what I said on the Everton podcast I was on. And I know for a fact it's going to be the worst one as well because I've got the taste buds of a child. (laughs) But um, I usually go for a ham and cheese sandwich. Boring. I know, I know. A bottle of Coke. And um, uh, either a Whisper Dewar or a Boost Dewar. Absolutely, that's functional. Bland thing you can. That's have. fine. It's well, better bland than horrid, bland. like ants. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Prawn sandwiches never ever. Society tells you to hate prawn sandwiches, and you do it. You just all need to sort of. You need to think for your own. Do either of you two have pineapple on pizza? I just have pepperoni. No. Every time. See, look, you, you, you're not, you're not expand. Why is prawn okay in in some senses, but not in a sandwich? It's like like anything's okay it's in some okay situations, you know. It's fine for West Standers. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so Joel's was a ham and cheese. Uh, what drink was it? A bottle of coke. Just normal coke, right? So ham and cheese, a bottle of coke, and a boost or a, a, a whisper yeah, duo. If if no, I'm telling you, if mine loses out to that, I, I'm going to be fuming. I'm going to put another poll up with clearer instructions, and all four yeah. of ours will be on it. And we'll have a revote of it. I feel I might um might regret this to be fair. But yeah, you, you will. I'm standing by it. I I, I just I, if I lose to Joel's, I'm going to be fuming because that is just <laughs> that's so bland. Don't do that. But yeah, so anybody listening, um, we'll put we'll re put the poll out if 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 anybody stays with us this long to listen to this tripe at the end. <laughs> but like I said, um, obviously we had Leon Court on this episode, so that was a nice chat. Um, we've had Nathaniel and Joel on week, so cheers for joining me, guys, talking about 
what was quite a drab affair today. Uh, obviously, this episode is sponsored by Hull City Retro and Six Yards Out, who offer you um, very affordable, top-quality uh, retro gear. Uh, and our podcast charity shirt, uh, in partnership with Andy's Man Club, is available for pre-order right now. The link has been put out a few times. I know um, it's you know it's been a busy time, so some people might have missed it. So, but sales are going quite well. I do believe we're nearly £150 raised for charity so far. So if you can, um, do drop yourself a shirt. They are 35 quid, uh, £7.50 each shirt you buy. does go straight to the charity. And they are obviously sponsored by, uh, created by um, S66 Sportwear, who have been absolutely brilliant with us in designing that shirt. So head over and check that out. All of it will be on our link tree. So go visit the sponsors as well. Uh, obviously support Hull Badge Man if you can. Uh, struggling at the moment. I know Daryl's having a bad time. I hope he's okay. Um, but yeah, th- thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, and we will uh, resume this pod, hopefully. And we'll we'll do our trademark finish line. Hopefully this is the last episode of the Alam era. We should stop saying it. Next episode. Because <laughs> it'll be right eventually. I've got to say it. Mm. Alam in. That, that'll work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, no, because I, I can never bring myself to should say never that. never say that. Never, ever say that. Nathaniel's going to be hung out to dry now. I'm going to yeah. clip that. I'm going to clip that bit and post it on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but cheers for uh, everybody listening. Uh, cheers for the spot. We have just hit 5K listeners, so continue supporting us. It's it's uh, much appreciated. But thank you, guys. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Sport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.